0: So as usual, I just hit record and we were in the middle of a conversation between Sharice and I. So yeah. you're kind of stepping halfway into this conversation, Sharice and I have.
1: We were halfway through duking it out and we didn't yeah. stop.
0: And also I want to make it customary to shout out listeners that we've interacted with. Shout yeah. out to King.
1: And Maurice. Yeah. It really brightens our day to hear from listeners. Sharice
0: got a big smile on her face.
1: Yeah, makes me happy.
0: So here's the conversation halfway through it. But it's not because the stories are bad, it's just that like the overall i guess approach to it all has just been very standardized, like not templatized, but it's just like I feel like there's more things we need to start exploring. It's not to say that stories are bad, I just feel like what is the next innovation I would- mean,
1: I think that it this speaks to a difference in you and I because you know you're you're you love coming up with new things, you like. Getting excited about ideas that we haven't put in place yet. And when you talk to me about these ideas, I'm always like, how are we going to execute this? And who is the person who's going to execute that? And we have no time for this. Yeah. And those are the things I think about. And what you're suggesting that, like in terms of editorial, we have something figured out to a degree brings me relief.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that it's we never have your, something stable. it's never your duty. To I'm not figure saying out- that
1: I feel personally responsible, but those are the questions that come to mind. Like yesterday when you came to me with the zine idea, it's like really hard for me to suppress the part of me that's like, who is the person that you have to lead this additional so thing?
0: What what I what I think is important in that context is that it's never I don't think it's ever your role to necessarily unless you're you're presented with that opportunity and it's very clear, like the expectation is set. So maybe it's, no one's expecting this. And how do I put this before we we delve any deeper? Like I had this idea of this quarterly make and zine program where we work with someone and work together on their zine and making would print it, distribute it, whatever it may be. And when that, when that idea came to me, I wasn't thinking already shit what are the roadblocks that are gonna that we're gonna hit it's more like let's think of the idea let's try to execute it no
1: that's a good thing
0: and but I it, also it's, it's think, a good
1: thing that i am the way i am yeah and not like you otherwise there would be too much in one we no. would slant too far the other yeah way.
0: yeah exactly exactly but i that's the part of the whole work process that i think is critical is in the past, and this is interesting, it's like a, a a flip in my perception of what role you play within sort of like a the architecture structure of a company. So, just, wait, wait,
1: wait, are we talking about me? specifically? No, just or me are we talking myself, about like as individuals. Like my
0: previously, when I was working, I was like kind of the middle manager, right? So when big ideas came to me, I was kind of from your perception of shit. How am I gonna get this done? You know what I mean? But now I think about it and like. And it's, it's, I think that's the goal is when you get presented with an idea, you're thinking forward to like the execution and the outcome before you're thinking about the steps and then you'll slowly unpack the steps. So I think that's the thing that sort of the role of people like Alex and myself is like, don't get caught up in the fact this will be difficult because we're all going to help and unpack it.
1: No, I don't want you and Alex to get caught up in thinking something is difficult and therefore you don't say it i I do think that it is necessary to have someone in the company who gives the thought about allocation yeah. of resources, no and correct use of time.
0: but I think that that leads to the next question. It's like, hey, well, if we can figure out what are the things that are required to make this happen, how do we make it happen by resource allocation?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes well, the we' thing- went
0: really deep, really fast. Yeah.
1: Well, but it, because yeah. it's a continuation of a previous conversation and not so much starting a new conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, sometimes what I think about is I think we have tons of good ideas as a team, and there still needs to be a weeding out from those ideas, like which are the best ones, yeah. which deserve attention. Yeah. And I'm sure many of them do, but it cannot be all of them. Correct. Some of them have to be yeah.
0: not. I mean, it's weird. They don't rise it, you, know, to the top. you know what I find in the biggest struggle is that when you have so many ideas and you're a relatively small brand, what is the balance between resource allocation and like a high level execution Right. in the sense that like when you're a smaller brand, relatively speaking, you can get away with something that's less polished because the expectation is lower. Mm -hmm. So what is the value in actually just doing it and like iterating off of that versus like, Hey, you know what? I need to drop seven other projects to do this one project. So it's like of a high, high level. Yeah. And This is, I think this is always going to be sort of um, the push and pull is like, how good does something really need to be in the face of just doing it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this in regards to discussing merchandise and I've always said, you know, we're not going to compete with someone on the t-shirt being the best t-shirt as a tee, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of its fabric and its cut. That's not what we're competing on.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: Um, That's just... We have to be aware of those limitations yeah. on ourselves. Yeah. So,
0: on so, a lighter note, yeah. you just
1: got back from Vietnam.
0: Yes, I was in Da Nang with my family for about four days.
1: So it's, Da Nang is a small town.
0: It's like 1.4 million people. It's but not I, that, small. that was my that was my first. <laughs> That's time. actually not that small. That was my first time in Vietnam, so I don't oh, really? know how to like match it up with the overall Vietnamese landscape.
1: Okay, so how's the banh mi and the pho? good?
0: Good. Um, we didn't eat that much pho. We ate a lot of bun boy and oh, I forget the name. You, but you it's have like, to
1: describe what a bun boy is. Bun boy
0: is like, it's a noodle soup, but it, the, the broth is like spicier. Honestly, I'm really bad at like. Describing this, like food? N- Nicole, my wife is way better at knowing the ins and outs of it. But on top of that, I got to try a lot of new things I've never had before. Like Vietnamese udon. That's the easiest way for me to describe it because it's just a thicker noodle. Okay. That's good. I mean, it's real. It's quite affordable to eat there. Like yeah. you're talking about like 50, 75 cents for a bowl of noodles. And I heard that. Yeah. It's definitely a departure from Hong Kong when I went to Din Tai Fung yesterday and spent like yeah.
1: 50 bucks. Yeah. yeah. I had dinner last night and we spent, I think it was like 18 USD per person. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad, which That's only so indicates, indicates yeah. the kind of landscape we're in right now. Yeah. Would you go back Oh, to Vietnam? totally, totally.
0: Yeah? We should do a making road trip there. I'm keen. I'm more yeah, keen. It's so close. It's like an hour and a half away.
1: That's more exciting to me than Chengdu. Can't lie.
0: Yeah.
1: I know Chengdu is still happening, but.
0: Yeah. Should we get going for the day?
1: Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. This is our second last episode of the year. Oh, nice. Oh, I was going to ask you. Does the new year mean anything to you as a person who doesn't really enjoy holidays or milestones?
0: Honestly, holidays now, what they mean to me is just the opportunity for people to put all their shit aside and come together.
1: Does the new year symbolize anything more to you? No. I knew that was where you were going to end on that side of the fence. It's
0: like, no, I'm not going to wait till the new year to have a resolution. Why wait, right?
1: Do you find yourself using the new year as a time to reflect on the year that's passed.
0: No, I use the new year as a reminder that time is passing me by and I need to hurry up and get stuff done.
1: Just a reminder of our imminent deaths.
0: Mm, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Sure.
1: (laughs) Who's starting today? You Uh, you start first. I'm starting. Yeah. Okay.
0: (sighs) Cherie's just preparing herself mentally.
1: I feel like I've been angry a lot on this podcast. Lately. Have I? I didn't get angry last week. The last time I got angry was net neutrality, and that was like four weeks ago. So I guess it's about time. All right. So my topic for today has been in the news a lot, at least the news that I read. And it's the confirmed acquisition of 21st Century Fox by Disney. So, some facts for people who haven't read the news yet. Um, It's valued at $52.4 billion. It includes 21st Century Fox and their stake in a bunch of other companies, but it does not include things like Fox Sports, Fox News, Fox TV stations. So those are going to be moved into a different company. What Disney is really acquiring is, to simplify it, the entertainment portions of Fox. So movies and TV shows.
0: Just on a quick side note, the entertainment side is largely insulated from Fox as like the news network, right?
1: Um, I mean, it's a really big company yeah, but and like lots the, and lots of people the work The controversy
0: there. within the news side doesn't really spill over into- No. That's what I'm trying no, to get No, it at.
1: doesn't spill over. Yeah. And I cannot imagine Disney wanting to acquire the- I have no nice words here- Um. The entity that is fox news so no that's not involved and that aspect of fox doesn't really spill over into 21st century even though they share a they share the same owner well former owner rupert murdoch okay so some more details um what this means what a lot of people on the internet have been talking about means that pixar most of the marvel universe star wars x-men deadpool the Simpsons—they're all owned by the same person now, Disney. Or, sorry, not person, but the same entity owns all of these properties. And there are people who get really excited about this because that means to them that the Fantastic Four and the Avengers can appear in the same movie.
0: That's that's kind of interesting. That's like superhero comic book fandom to the yes. next level, right? Yes. So, like a unification of the worlds.
1: Yes. So there have been, I, we cannot get away without saying this. There have been a lot of people who are excited about this merger because there's no longer these behind the scenes reasons why superheroes can't interact. Mm-hmm. And there are fans who are really interested in seeing them interact mm-hmm. for various reasons. But I think that...
0: You're worried more on a... Deeper level of the ramifications of these two coming together. I'm not
1: saying that the the pro of X Men and Iron Man in the same movie isn't interesting. Like, sure, it it's interesting, but I think there are um bigger effects on the entertainment industry, and as we talked about in the briefing on streaming services, that we should consider and that we should be on the lookout for. And I honestly, I. Tried really hard to find a reason why the Disney Fox acquisition is good for consumers. And I've come up with one
0: yep. semi-reason. What is it?
1: Okay. The one semi-reason is that even though Disney Fox merging means you take down. So do you notice? I didn't even phrase that as a question. I thought about it. I was like, I can ask you, Jane. Do you know how many movie studios there are in Hollywood? These,
0: these games are stupid when you like know the person has very little chance of getting them all.
1: Anyway, so the Disney Fox merger means that there are now five major studios. And I'm of the opinion that any decrease in the amount of competition is bad news. Okay? I think it leads to a homogenization of the product and a lack of creativity. But, so this goes to my one pro that I have found for consumers. I, can I can
0: I pipe in there? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, my I think that you you I 100% agree that what you're saying is is true. However, I think we're in a space right now where independent filmmakers have much more opportunity than they did in the past. So I agree. Yes, you know, more is better in a way in terms of just different thoughts, ideas, but that's not going to necessarily stop that new up and coming indie filmmaker from making a movie who is never going to actually work with these people anyways. So and that that was prefaced by a podcast I listened to with Peter Kafka. This gets
1: to my pro. What you're saying gets my pro. So, yes, Disney Fox means one less major studio in Hollywood, meaning fewer people creating those like massive blockbusters mega that we get every and stuff. year. Yeah, mega movies. But it means an additional player in the streaming services. So, do you want this to be a test or do you want me just to tell you?
0: Mm, just what tell are the me. top three? Okay. Okay. Wait, what are the top three streamers? Yeah. What are the top three streaming streamers? services? Okay.
1: Subscription, scre- subscription Netflix, streaming Netflix. services.
0: Hulu, this is before this acquisition. Yeah. Netflix, Hulu, and... Yeah, one more. The third one. You're going to say it and I'll know it, but it's yeah. it's probably the smallest one, right?
1: Amazon Prime. Okay. Okay, so Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime are the currently the biggest players, but Netflix by far is... Yeah. It's 66% of people who stream stateside. Yeah. So going by my same, like what I believe, like, more players equals better. Yeah. Then Disney entering the streaming situation is a good thing. Yeah. And one of the things I think could be good is that it means Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime will put increasing resources into original content, which provides opportunities like you were saying for indie filmmakers. Got it. Like an additional platform for them. That's it's not going to be, you know, global theatrical release. Yeah. But it will be released on Netflix, which honestly could Get more eyeballs. Yeah.
0: This is a bit of an aside. Do you believe that the fact that streaming exists and the fact that they're just casting this massive net and collecting all these shows and movies and whatnot, does it actually result in a true meaningful impact for people to have distribution? And let me, I guess that's a complex way of, of saying it, which I'm really bad at, But because the thing is, how many people do you know pop up how many people do you know that turn on their Netflix and spend 15 minutes looking for something before they actually watch something? Because they're just so overwhelmed. So it's like, even though you have distribution now, like what is the actual reality of creative work surfacing? And I think that's the actual thing that I I think the pro of it is actually overstated in a way. I think the pro of having more distribution, more streaming platforms for these indie players or whatnot actually is overstated like it doesn't provide sort of this meaningful uptick in opportunities for them because at the end of the day, like these are these massive platforms are just filled with so much content. That I think
1: maybe we have a different definition of indie in this regard.
0: Can I, I'll give you my opinion. Okay. My opinion is anyone that has it's, I mean, you could say anyone that is pursuing sort of this project and kind of scraping together all the funds to make it happen. That's probably not the most professional sort of assessment of it. But for me, it's, you know, they're not backed by big money.
1: So because in my mind, a TV show, a TV series produced by Netflix is still borderline indie because the amount of money that Netflix has for original content is still not even close to what blockbusters cost the production of a blockbuster so what what i was just looking up is netflix spent six billion this year on all of their original content so everything Mm -hmm. that was a netflix original was came in as six billion and the budget for one avengers film is 220 million Mm -hmm. so i think just like the comparison makes Makes the Netflix level still much more accessible mm-hmm. to someone who's starting out yeah. as a filmmaker, and I don't know when you describe like people who are scraping together funds, that kind of sounds like.
0: I mean, I, I guess for me, indie would be like Kevin Smith's original, Clerks movie, that was done for like thirty thousand. You know, I are have you have no not idea what you're talking about. Kevin Smith's the guy that if you saw him, you'd recognize him. He's like a filmmaker. Okay, but he's like he did a lot of. I want to say 90s sort of cult classics, like Mallrats and Empire Records. I might have to fact check that. <laughs> but no, like, I think that that to me is like someone that is, you know, doesn't have a massive budget, is kind of seeking to have something validated. I think that's another okay. good example is that like when when these big movie studios throw money down, it's because they have a pretty high level of expectation. I
1: right? think what you did say, though, about Streaming services doesn't mean that things rise to the top is still true. The the thing that causes people to go to a service, to go to any subscription service and watch a new show is usually media surrounding the show, Mm. like The Handmaid's Tale, Mm. which at least you've heard of if you haven't. No. Handmaid's Tale? Um, The one about like a dystopic future, and it was in the media a lot because... It, it eerily resembles Trump-era America. Oh,
0: no, I haven't.
1: Uh, I figured maybe at least came across it in a thing piece. Anyway, that's Selective. all right. Um, but one thing I think... I, okay, so... The Disney-Fox merger, what a lot of people talk about is that it means they own a lot of really recognizable intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Okay, such as The X-Files and The Simpsons and Family Guy... But maybe it's not so important that someone owns all of these IPs because in the end, they're old. This is what I'm throwing out. And even though they have the ability to now, I don't know, they could do whatever they wanted. They could mash up. The Simpsons and X-Files. I know this sounds crazy, but yeah. I'm just saying like suggesting yeah, yeah. they could do whatever they wanted, remixing these old IPs. But optimistically, I'm going to propose that people are interested in original content. Yeah. And the fact that they own these old IPs doesn't give them as much power as they might imagine.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Because especially nowadays, it's not difficult for me to find back catalogs that are not from a paid source. Yeah. You know, I could, not saying I do it, but, but.
1: No, no, you it's, know what I mean? like, it's fine you without incriminating go, yourself on whoa, air. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not jump to conclusions here, but I'm just saying I know of people that will go and stream old TV shows.
1: And I also just, I'm not that interested in, I think it's boring to continue to capitalize off of new content using old IPs like another Simpsons movie or another season of the X-Files. Like, I feel like that's such an easy thing to do.
0: It's funny because I got really excited when I heard the office is coming back. Albeit this is outside oh. of their, their um, overall sort of property. That
1: came up in umbrella. conversation yesterday yeah.
0: too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I understand that. Yeah. Like, I understand that excitement about what do you want to call it like the rebirth of yeah. old ips but i i'm i'm gonna again like optimistically say that people in the end will win out for original content yeah like you you can't just recycle old franchises Correct.
0: over and over so in, I hope yeah, you need an injection of new energy yeah new ideas so if i'm to encapsulate all your thoughts you think that overall this is net negative like you're not really all that excited about this. It,
1: I, overall, I still go net negative, even yeah. for all of them. I
0: mean, you're losing voices, you're losing more players, more competition, and the gain of having another sh- another streaming service in the picture. To be said, you know, maybe it puts pressure on other original content yeah. creators. Yeah, maybe that becomes the big thing. I don't know. It Honestly, could be. I it's just a little bit. Worrying for me, as people spend more and more time through you know three becoming four distribution channels, yeah, like if you don't make it on those four, then how how are people going to communicate with you
1: I think the it's pipes, also
0: the pipes are just becoming larger, but they're also there's only four pipes
1: I think it's also just concerning because Disney was the most profitable studio for the past three years straight, okay, by billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so this is a case of the biggest player eating what was Fox for the last three years. I want to say the second biggest or the third biggest. Wait, so
0: this is going through antitrust, all that stuff. Oh, okay. Passed. We didn't
1: even mention that. Um, oh, so Disney, what's happened is Disney confirmed that they want to do this, yeah. right? Like they want to acquire Fox. Um, the U.S. Justice Department still has to decide if this merger breaks antitrust laws, meaning that they have to decide, does this, eliminate competition in a way that is unhealthy for the market and if they decide that yes it does then they can sue Disney which doesn't mean that that's successful but they can decide to sue Disney Mm. there's a lot of talk that it's unlikely that the U.S. Justice Department will say anything because Murdoch is friends with Trump which is like the worst reason (laughs) to suggest that nothing will be done
0: if you could see sheree she's staring off into the distance <laughs> just disappointment in those eyes
1: but anyway get back to what i was gonna say before that sidebar is that i think it's worse that it's like the number one biggest eating the second slash third biggest instead of like five and six joining yes, forces yeah, yeah you know it's just it's, it suggests that like
0: this is kind of you know, like Katie, for Katie going to Golden State. Oh, oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a really good player going to play with another really good player. It's or players. funny
1: how, do you use the basketball references? Because you know the football ones just like go over my head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that was a conscious effort to Thank you. utilize a sport that you're familiar with, Sharice.
1: The way you're saying that suggests that it wasn't. It no, was just, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, I, I think, um, overall net negative because of how much power it consolidates in one bucket. Yeah.
0: Cool. That was really good. And I, uh, I think I learned a lot about just your perception. I'm not a big movie buff, nor do I see do you, myself Do you think that, that this will,
1: does this affect you as a movie consumer or a TV show consumer in no, any way? No,
0: I already tune out all the really big Marvel movies, all that stuff. Like I don't really pay attention to that. Okay. Yeah. I just want more opportunity for more thoughtful content to have an opportunity. So maybe like you have the sort of mid-tier, not mid-tier because it's of lesser quality, mid-tier because the overall attraction of it will never be of a Marvel level. Like the only show I really kind of pay attention to is maybe Black Mirror, right? Mm-hmm. So Black Mirror to me is never going to appeal to the to the mainstream audience, mm-hmm. but it's in that mid trying to reach the top tier that, hey, can we find other ways of getting shows like that onto different platforms? Yeah. But what's also cool is like TV shows, I'm curious if they're ever TV shows, movies, et cetera, are they ever in competition with each other? Like if there's two good movies and they're really good, will someone only pick one movie to go watch or will they just, you know, delay? I'll wait, you know, two weeks until I go watch this other movie. I'll pick one and I'll go to the other one later.
1: I mean, this is interesting because traditionally movies have been measured. Their success has been measured by opening weekend box office numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that metric becomes increasingly outdated because a lot of things go straight to streaming. And many people no longer feel the urge to go into a physical theater. They feel comfortable waiting for it to come out on or, Amazon or and renting it. You or you can
0: spend like there's ways you can spend like, what, 40 bucks and you can get it at home for yeah, new yeah. releases? Or yeah, something yeah, like that. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the competition actually for TV shows is higher because, so this is, this will be interesting when Disney launches its entertainment subscription streaming in 2019 um, to see how much it costs because what I think is how it's going to affect consumers, maybe not you personally, but they're going to have to decide, am I happy to spend seven bucks a month times three? Let's say I'm paying for Netflix and Hulu and Disney's because I want to watch all three of those shows. And am I happy to do that? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to decide, actually, you know what, I think the Disney Netflix shows are the best. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to spend money on those two monthly subscriptions instead of Paying the Hulu one as well, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: that's that's true. The economic side of that is very valid. You don't start collecting all these different.
1: Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure there are some consumers who are going to wind up collecting.
0: Do live. you do you think the allure of original content and programming in TV, movies, etc., is stronger than the pull of music? So maybe I think actually I, I might I might take that back. I think that you're more likely to collect T V slash movie subscriptions than you are to collect music subscriptions.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think we've talked about music streaming before, but the expectation is that for a subscription service to have everything when it comes to music. You would, you would find it really strange if it was missing certain albums. I don't think people are used to that yet. Whereas for TV shows, it we're used to the fact that um, Black Mirror is proprietary to Netflix, so you're not going to be able to get it somewhere else. Which maybe just goes back to the way a traditional TV works, where you have to watch things on certain channels, right? Whereas music, it was never like channel-specific. Still not happy about it. The conversation did not changed my mind and I don't feel any more excited but it could still not go through so let's hold that hope
0: my topic this week involves an interview by Muji's creative director Kenya Hara and DaZine, which is a website that focuses on design. Um, and the interview itself was shaped around the 10th anniversary of Muji's two stores in the United States. Although for yeah. me personally, I don't think that's the takeaway by any stretch of the imagination. It's
1: just why the interview happened.
0: Exactly. Uh, and it's just interesting to see the progression of Muji. And if you're unfamiliar with Muji or you haven't had the chance to visit one of their stores... It's like the quintessential OG of unbranded product. Yep. And it's Brandless brand. Yeah, which is actually now very popular uh-huh. on a direct-to-consumer level. What I find most compelling about this is how they've been able to kind of put together this package that literally you could walk in there and it's like there are very few stores that I think have the same capabilities of providing the whole lifestyle range, bedding, food cafes, pens. Pens are awesome, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all these things. So,
1: Clothing. Clothing even.
0: too, yeah. Everything in there is, you're probably not getting the best, but you're also not getting anything too shabby.
1: You would, that Kenya Hara says this in the interview that you would probably go to Muji with an open mind. You're not going specifically to find one item, but you might pick up an item from every department.
0: Yeah. And I think that's like a great, testament to them yeah as a brand the reason why i was sort of interested in this topic was why do you think muji has been able to kind of cement themselves in this position you know is it the fact that they were just so so clean in their aesthetic was it the ability to kind of weave this narrative through every single quote-unquote department that allows them to be so successful
1: you know what i'm interested in Sorry to answer your question with a question, but is how come Muji is able to maintain such an affordable price point without being thought of as cheap?
0: I don't think it's that cheap, though. I still what think What do you mean? You don't think
1: it's economically cheap?
0: I don't think it's, it's still kind of expensive. It's not, there's cheaper stuff out there for sure. There's
1: cheaper, but it's not expensive. I it's mean, okay, not. the clothing is actually kind of expensive, but the stationery?
0: The stationery, stationery.
1: Okay, but I think, I think I, okay, I that's my feeling is that yeah. they have a low, okay, compar- comparatively to Muji, Uniqlo has a low price point, Correct. but I do think that they are perceived as budget. Uniqlo is? Yes. Okay. But I don't think Muji suffers from that perception.
0: No. But is it because that when you walk into a Muji store, the fact the range of prices allows you it's an anchor right Mm -hmm. because i think there's certain things that you see in there that you might not actually go and visit on a whim so like for example furniture you can go to muji buy furniture that becomes an anchor right so you see that and you're like oh you know what like that's why i see i'm just making this up like a 750 fifty dollar bed next to like you know a dollar a one dollar pen yeah so that i think is psychologically the reason why muji is able to like present themselves as not necessarily a low-end brand.
1: Well, why I think... To, okay, to go back and actually answer your question about mm-hmm. how come they have such widespread success is I think that their products are actually good.
0: Yeah. I think everyone's entryway... There was a certain level of... I hate using this word, but like delight. You pick up a Muji band and you're like, oh man, this is like... Uh, I think that for me was probably the first entry point into Muji. Yeah. Like this is a good thing No, same band. for me. Right? And then you're like if they can do a product as simple as a pen, but make it that good in terms Mm -hmm. of an experience, like it gives you confidence in other parts.
1: Actually, besides the pen, which I love and have been using for many years. Another thing I used to love a lot was their blank planners, Mm -hmm. like their calendar planners. And this is actually back when I was a high school student, but they really served a need that I had that I couldn't, find in other stores because Mm -hmm. i I just wanted a blank set up calendar with no with nothing fancy about it that i could fill in Mm -hmm. and they serve that so i think it goes down to yes there are other things that have resulted in their success like branding and advertising but ultimately their products are well made and Mm -hmm. that's something hara emphasizes himself yeah that they serve the functions that they're intended for yeah that you have a need for
0: yeah i would say that one way a brand can show its dominance or its its capabilities is taking the the design language and putting it onto different mediums in the interview what i thought was really interesting was when he was saying how you know muji could create a travel brand it Mm -hmm. could also create a sports team yeah those are things that if you think about it yeah i could picture a muji sports team i can yeah. So I think that that's one of the more interesting things is like, how do you create these opportunities to like invest in other verticals and do it in a certain way? And I think Muji, despite the fact it's brandless is a brand, you know, I think that's a, the sort of like meta analysis that people have is like by virtue of not having a logo, it doesn't mean it's not a brand. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that's an interesting way of presenting itself because there's such a, a defined experience that comes with, Muji in general so
1: it's interesting because they're opening hotels as well
0: hotels they have those cabins
1: yeah they have cabins the hotels are new I don't think they're open yet but they're in planning and I already have confidence that I would feel comfortable in a Muji hotel Mm -hmm. like I could I have confidence in the brand
0: Mm mm-hmm and I think there's a level of thoughtfulness in there. I you know, for certain people, what I find interesting with Muji and have you have you been to Muji in New York? Yeah. Is the Muji New York experience in line with like a Muji Hong Kong or a Muji Japan yeah. experience? So what I also find interesting, because that's an that's an exportation of culture and retail culture globally.
1: I'm trying to think of how many international Muji's I have been to. I want to say, well, Hong Kong, yeah. New York, Japan, China. Yeah. I've been in Shanghai. I don't know if I've been in Europe.
0: What I'm trying to get at is it's like... it's the same. Yeah, like the fact that you have, you're going to go pay. They, they, they place a trail. Do they do that? Mm-hmm. In, you know what I mean? Those are small little nuances within Japanese retail culture that I think are some of the best elements. And to have that sort of like taken and spread globally, that that to me is a really interesting concept.
1: That's true. Because now
0: you're going into a store and you're like, okay, I've never been to Japan, but this is a pretty well defined Japanese retail experience. Although yep. I can't speak because I've never been to ones outside of maybe Asia, but you know, the way the thoughtfulness I think is really critical, right? And I think that's part of the experience maybe.
1: That is interesting thinking about their internal training systems or design systems that allow them to export the store and maintain the same quality of experience and atmosphere.
0: That to me is one of the things that I always find is a bit lacking. Service industry in Europe, probably a little bit better, but in other parts of the world, like it's never that good.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I was just thinking again about Uniqlo, which is, Wait, yeah. is Uniqlo also, it's Japan, yeah. homegrown, right? F- yeah. Fast
0: retailing is like the parent company. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uniqlo is underneath, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think, which I have, I have been to a Uniqlo in also those same four places, yeah. I think Shanghai, New York, Hong Kong, and Japan. Um, The service experience is defined by the place you happen to be in. Mm. So like the service in a Hong Kong Uniqlo is the same as you would expect it in any Hong Kong retail store. But I think Muji must train differently yeah. or according to a certain set this of is rules. There's a lot
0: of time to spend on just dissecting their I customer mean, service.
1: If someone works at Muji, you should hit us up because we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's crucial, right? I mean, yeah. that's part of it and also their store design. Yeah.
0: yeah. Very, very unified in that sense. Because there's the argument some people like, oh, we we like to take the characteristics of the neighborhood. But... In some ways, I think the the cookie cutter nature of Muji works well because so. the expectation is is clearly defined. Yeah. It's kind of like a McDonald's in a way, but not in a <gasps> negative sense. It's kind of like you go to McDonald's anywhere in the world, you yeah, or Starbucks. I
1: know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's just like an expected quality, though. You could say that a Starbucks, oh, there's such a different level of quality, mm-hmm. but you would expect the same thing when you walk into a Starbucks anywhere.
0: One thing I wanted to sort of like lead the conversation towards is, do you think that product can influence someone's philosophy on life? So I think that's the way Muji, Kanyahara, that's the way they've sort of encapsulated experiences. Like there's a certain minimalism there. It's like, let's create things that you truly need Mm -hmm. and not tack on anything extraneous. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to hear, especially now there's this... uh. Now more than ever, I think the trend of minimalism, like, I forget the the, the Japanese lady who has the book. Oh, called. um. I think it's kind of oh,
1: before. laptop, Kondo. Are, yeah. Kondo. But it's funny that you don't, you didn't remember her name because I've never she's read the, the book. one. She's the one who says, did you know that? She says the way you decide what to keep and not to keep is you pick up every item and you evaluate does this bring me delight? Exactly. She uses the yes. word delight. That's the word that she yeah. uses. So this is not a Muji cup. I'm like holding up this IKEA cup right yeah. now to demonstrate.
0: This cup does bring me delight. Does it? Because it's, it's you relatively warm. You large. know what brings
1: me delight? This is so funny because this is a audio experience and we're talking about products Um, in front of us. This cup and this coaster fit together perfectly.
0: But where's the coaster from? I don't know. Anyways, it's a cork coaster. Anyways. To that point, I I think that's one another interesting way of how product can subtly influence things that we do.
1: Yeah, I believe that. I subscribe to that.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: It's so funny because you didn't you didn't push me on Muji's success being about branding.
0: Because I think that that's a given. Because at the end of the day, like. I, I 100% acknowledge the fact that even though there's no Muji markings on a pen, you know it's a Muji pen. Mm. You know what I mean? The the sort of frosted, opaque barrel. You know the little the the color on the on the on the back cap
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. So a little bit of a lightweight one. You know to finish things off.
1: We should try to pick uplifting topics. Is
0: this uplifting for next week? Oh, you mean in general?
1: No, just for next week, cause it's our last one of the year. Yeah, can end on. Even though to you, the New Year means nothing. That's fine. To I'm me. not going to tell
0: people how they should. Feels good to react end to on the on a New good Year.
1: Note. Okay, good place to finish. If you are interested in learning more about making and our membership opportunities, this includes our weekly briefings where we get these topics exclusive content and a members-only Slack community, you can check us out at Macon.com. There you can also listen to more of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If for whatever reason you want to put people onto this, make sure they download this particular feed as well as the other one so that, you know, you have both and it's a little bit cleaner If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend.
1: And we do know that you have been sharing this podcast with friends. So thank you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice.
0: And this is Making It Up.